0: This is Work of the Beat. It is Monday, December 27, 2021. I'm Kevin Kavini. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a great holiday.
1: Give me what you can tonight.
0: As we start to get geared from Christmas mode to New Year's mode, uh Eagles with a big win yesterday it wasn't pretty. Uh first half was downright ugly. Um But they did get the win over the representation that is the New York football giants. And now they get the Washington football team who gets embarrassed in Dallas last night. And uh, so they will have a shot. It's possible if Minnesota loses the Green Bay, that the Eagles and New Orleans loses perhaps tonight to Miami, the Eagles could clinch a playoff spot next week, um, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, but it's there, and um, so it's on the table. And yeah, you know, there's even a wild scenario, unlikely, because San Francisco has Houston. They could end up to the sixth seed, which would make it kind of interesting. So, um, But the Eagles are going forward. We'll talk about the Eagles, but we're going to talk about everything since this is our traditional end-of-the-year show uh we have a great guest and i'm going to get to it in fact right away here it's a, a great guest as part of our roundtable john johnson from 94wip uh, who's going to be filling in on the morning show this week for angelo he's uh one uh and mike Zilski, uh from the philadelphia Inquirer columnist who has been on all these roundtable shows we've had every year well, actually both of them have um And soon to be the author, well, he is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, The Rise, uh, detailing Kobe Bryant and his formative years up until the time he got drafted into the NBA. Uh, That comes out January 11th, so uh, make sure you pick up a copy of that. So we'll talk to Mike, and then, of course, Mr. Kern will be in as well, and we'll discuss everything going on as we look back at 2021 and then look ahead to 2022 which you know we, it, it, these type of shows are a little tricky because you don't know where things are going and especially this year with all the covet outbreaks but um we'll discuss a little bit of everything so that's our agenda let's get right to it let's uh let's talk last year let's talk 2021 and then let's talk 2022 with mike silski and john johnson that's next here on working the beat progress we have hit the conclusion of 2021 and uh you know we look back at the year in sports in philadelphia it's kind of been the same as it's been for a lot of years over the course of history not a lot going on uh but a lot going on so to break it all down uh, we assemble our usual end of the year round table and we'll start with the author of the rise uh, about the formative years of Kobe Bryant's uh, life. Uh, it's by Mike Silski. It will come out January 11th. And Mike Silski from the Philadelphia Inquirer joins us. Mike, how are you?
2: Great, Keith. Thanks for having me. No problem.
0: Mentioned in the book. Not a problem. Uh, Also, uh, from ninety four WIP, he will be co hosting the morning show the rest of the week. Uh, So these early morning hours are not unfamiliar to him. And uh, one of the regular voices on this podcast covered the Sixers and the Phillies for years. It's John Johnson. John, how are you,
1: gentlemen? How are we?
0: And Mister Kern has joined us. Good morning, Michael. Yo. Hope you all had a great holiday. And so we'll get going on this. I guess we should start with the obvious question, which is, um, you know, after a ugly first half, the Eagles, you know, are now uh, beat the Giants yesterday. They're now eight and seven. In a way, they have a they have a path to clinch a playoff spot next week. Um, Are you surprised? Let me start with Mike Silski. Are you surprised by the way this has all turned out for this team?
2: Yeah, I am, Um, and. You know, a lot of people looked ahead at the schedule that the Eagles had and thought, okay, well, they could make a run later in the season um, if things broke their, you know, broke the right way for them. And and some of these teams, the Giants among them, were as bad as we all anticipated they were going to be. Um, but the Eagles were so bad uh, through seven games, two and five, and getting their doors blown off against the Raiders in Las Vegas, uh, that I was really. I kind of wrote them off. I have to admit, um, I just didn't think they were good enough. I didn't think they were well coached enough. I didn't think Jalen hurts um, was a good enough quarterback to kind of rally them back. And I give them credit because they leaned on the, the obvious and greatest strength that they have as a football team, which is their offensive line. And they decided we're going to pound teams into submission for the most part. And we're going to ask Jalen hurts, um, to be competent and make a few good throws and run the ball a little bit, and uh, their defense settled down a little bit, and here we are. So, to me, the season—if they get in the playoffs—the season is a rousing success based on everybody's expectations uh, for what we thought this team was going to be back in August and September.
0: John, let me let me ask this question: Not are you surprised? Do you think Howie Roseman and, and the company are surprised about that they're at, in this spot?
1: Oh, I think they're definitely surprised. I mean, granted. The, We go back to when they hired Sirianni. We assumed it was someone who's very controllable, just happy to be there so they can, you know, they can put their influence into just about everything. But to go from where they were, as Mike uh, described, a team that looked utterly lost, the head coach, no idea what to do, game in and game out, coaches that are um, clearly not, appeared to be not qualified for the job, and a roster of, we heard them preach about, hey, we'll put our, we'll, Utilize our players' strengths. We'll find out what they're good at and, uh, you know, build a game plan around that. And the early buildings are the exact opposite of that. But for them to grow, uh, and, and that goes with the defensive coordinator as well, to become what they are now, it's I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I don't – expectations are still bare minimum. But if I can get an extra game out of this in the end, if they're one of only 14 teams to move on into the playoffs, it's it, from an entertainment standpoint, it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Uh. Mr. Kern, you want to add
3: in on this? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the coach wanted to play. Look, you have a first-year coach and a first-year quarterback for all intent and purposes. And I think everybody looked at this as, okay, in the first five or six or seven games, they looked horrible because they're trying to throw the ball 50 times a game, which every team in the league pretty much does. And they found out real quick you can't do that. And then the schedule got easier. They figured out a formula where you can beat Bad team or, or not as good teams, and they're beating them fairly soundly because there's a lot of not so good teams in this league, and I give them credit for that. But I think the dilemma is going to be whatever happens, where they may make the playoffs, come close to making the playoffs, whatever. What do you do with the quarterback? Well, and that's because yeah. that's the dilemma is you know, he probably played obviously he made he's an alternate for the Pro Bowl, so he's done some good things, and there's things he doesn't do well. And now you're looking forward with three first round draft picks. What do you do? And I think this is the challenge now for them. You know, do you go forward with Jalen for at least another year and try to shore up your defense a little bit or get some players where you might need help? I don't know. And that that's why Howie's going to get the big bucks, I guess. Well, let me
0: go back to Silski. Mike, when you look at it, I mean, we all talk we've talked all year about these three number one picks. Okay. And I think there was an in- Yeah, there was a point about week seven, week eight, you're thinking, wow, you could have three in the top ten. Well, it's possible that all three spots end up in the playoffs. Miami wins tonight. Miami is actually the seventh seed in in the AFC, and Indianapolis is already in. So, I mean, I guess the question is, what do those three first-round picks mean at this point towards Jalen Hurts' future? At, At this point, if I were
2: the Eagles, I would not draft a quarterback in the first round. I would run it back with Jalen Hurts, and here's why. My feeling on the quarterback position in the NFL, as bad and as lacking depth as that position is around the league right now, is there's kind of a sliding scale, right? There's the sliding scale of a quarterback's ability, and then there's the sliding scale of a quarterback's cost under the salary cap, okay? I've maintained this since it happened. The big reason that the Eagles went to and won the Super Bowl in 2017 is that They had excellent quarterback play, whether it was Carson Wentz or Nick Foles, at a reasonable cost. So it allowed them to fill in other holes and make other acquisitions and build up the team around those two guys so that they could win a championship. Okay. Now, once you start to pay more for your quarterback, unless that quarterback is Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or even Tom Brady at 43 or 44, it becomes harder to build a higher quality team around. We him.
3: saw that in Seattle, right, Mike?
2: Right, exactly. Didn't exactly. So my argument would be you've seen what Jalen Hurts can do over the course of a season. It's fair to assume he will get better or to hope that he will get better next year and he will still be on his rookie contract. So take that chance that he'll get better, that he won't cost so much money, and then, then you can use those draft picks maybe make trades to address other aspects of the team. Um, you know, my feeling that you chase this white whale of you got to have a franchise quarterback right away, that's belied by the evidence throughout the league. The Rams went to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff and, and dumped him less than two years later. The Eagles got there with their backup, winning, you know, two playoff games and then the Super Bowl. And
3: the Niners went with Jimmy Garoppolo. Right, there's
2: the formula. And unless you have an all-time all-timer, it seems foolish to me to try to, to use draft capital on somebody you're not sure will be the guy when you've got someone who has played well often this season and still might grow. But, but
3: Mike, say, knowing what, what the Eagles, knowing the Eagles and the way they kind of try to operate, if a Deshaun Watson become became somebody like that, and I'm using his name, 26 years old, whatever he is, everybody thinks he's one of the best five, six, seven quarterbacks in the league do you think the Eagles would try to say, hey, we just made the playoffs. We're not bad. We don't think we can win a Super Bowl with Jalen, but make, I mean, do you see any kind of scenario, and I'm even throwing the baggage out, but do you see any kind of scenario with that where they would try to use these, these, all these picks or some of these picks to say we're going to go in that direction?
2: Yes, I do. I, I wrote that earlier this season, that the fact that the Eagles were winning the ball by, by running it and pounding teams into submission doesn't mean that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman are going to come to an epiphany and say, hey, we can win games running the ball with Jalen Hurts. They're going to say, we need a different quarterback because Our we guy. don't want to win this way. Gotcha. This is not how the the modern-day NFL is, and so we've got to go find that quarterback who can allow us to to win the way we want to and the teams traditionally win. Well, John, he's let me not
0: in the, uh,
3: wait, He's not in the draft, though. You, that, that's what we're I saying. don't think he's in
0: this draft. No, that's I don't. Fine. Okay, That was going to be the next question, John. is part of this also because of the fact that there's nobody in this draft. Maybe Kenny Pickett, but that's about it, and I'm not sure. Yeah. Kenny Pickett's going to beat her because I think the, the Steelers are going to take him. Uh, to replace Ben Roethlisberger, there's nobody in this draft that really wows you at the quarterback spot.
1: No, there's nobody in the draft like that. And sadly, I mean, everything that Mike Silski said is correct. That's the way you should be building your team. The problem is we know how Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie think. They're always in search of that next franchise quarterback. And I thought they had it with Lance. It all fell apart. Uh, you know, they originally drafted Jalen Hurts to be that security backup as a blanket. And, I've never flip-flopped so much on quarterback in my life. I see those snippets. You see one half of football, we're like, "All right, that's." Now I see what the potential is, and then you see him revert right back in another half. And Howie Roseman's seeing that too. And I I do not agree with a lot of the decisions that he has made, but I am almost certain that he's searching for the next quarterback of this team because their play calling is very evident of how they feel about the quarterback too. It's wonderful that the ground running game has been so successful. But it is in part because they aren't, uh, they don't trust Jalen Hurts with the, you know, the, the the short, to intermediate passes to where they have to run the ball as many times as they have, which is the exact opposite of everything we've heard of how, you know, Jeffrey Lurie would like his franchise to be, uh, you know, ran game in and game out. And
0: I would say the one, the one thing I'll chime in on this with is, <clears throat> you know, there's an old baseball saying: you never believe spring training, you never believe September. Okay, because you don't face good opposition usually, you face guys who are up or whatever. I almost caution that a little bit with Jalen Hurts. They haven't played a really good team or played well against a really good team in a long time. His best game against a good team may have been against the the, the Chargers. Okay, who are kind of revealing themselves as a little bit of a fraud right now. So I don't know if I trust him or not, but I agree with Mike. I I, I don't. I kind of agree. I will ride it out one more year to see if he makes that step and then kind of maybe use that as one of those three or a couple of those three picks try to trade back and get some draft capital for next year when the quarterback class should be a lot better. Silski? Yeah, you
2: know, it's interesting to me guys, and again I wrote this earlier this year, I think right after that Chargers game, where Jalen Hurts is a good case study in how much the NFL has changed over the last 30 years because in an earlier era, you a team would look at Jalen Hurts and say he's a good leader. He makes big plays, and he's made big plays in a lot of big moments. Like in that Chargers game, he led the Eagles on a game time drive before you know, Justin Herbert came back and chewed up the last six and a half minutes. Um, his stats aren't great, but he, he's winning games for a team that wasn't expected to win a lot of games. All those things would be valued more in like the 80s or the 90s than they are now. What's valued now is looking at him, statistically speaking, and with our eyes to see – you know his deep ball wobbles on the way down to receivers, and he doesn't see the field particularly well, um, and all these things where we are all now privy to being able to watch quarterbacks in the same way that coaches do, and we can see these things for ourselves, and that's what makes this so hard. Never mind the salary cap implications of it; that if you if you commit long term to a guy who isn't good enough, you're screwed. So it's he's he's just fascinating to me. I I kind of enjoy. That's where I derive my greatest pleasure from watching these Eagles games is to see how he performs and how, as John said, the narrative on him changes from half to half almost.
3: Mike, Kern? Yeah, I, I, look, I, the Eagles are going to have a decision to make. And if they didn't have the three first-round picks, even if they're back in the first round, but we we won't be having this conversation in all likelihood. But we, we I, m- me personally, unless something jumped up at me, Like, if you could get a Deshaun Watson, and it wasn't, and again, like Mike talks about the salary, Deshaun's going to make a lot of money. So you're going to change the, the, you know, how your team can be structured. I would go probably another year with Jalen Hurts and see what it would leave me. And I think you would. Now, the problem is if you wait and then you don't have the draft capital going forward or there's not a Deshaun Watson available, or if you got to go back in the draft and draft somebody, the chances are, the guy you draft next year, if, if that's the way you decide, he's not coming in in 2023 and leading you anywhere. That, I mean, that's you know, Mac Jones is doing a good job in, in New England, but he's got a team around him and a coach around him. Most rookie quarterbacks don't come in and do a whole lot. Uh, so you're, you're kind of setting your franchise back, but that's where they are. And you could look at this team and say, well, if they had a Deshaun, I keep using his name only because he's probably the, maybe the most available guy. And Deshaun has to want to come here by the way, we keep forgetting things like that. Like the guy has to want to come here because they all have no trade contracts and stuff like that. But if you're Howie and you, you've talked about the owner and, and Howie, what kind of team do they want to have? And I don't think the kind of team they want to have is the kind of team we've seen over the last six or seven weeks, even though they're winning. I just don't think that's the way that they see them winning another Super Bowl.
0: Let me move on here. Um, I asked this just as a broad overview question for for the year. What what franchise had the best year? Uh, Let me start with John Johnson.
1: Wow. Um, The union, John. Boy. (laughs) They're all tied for for last. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Um, I think I may end up saying the Eagles. I mean, the the Phillies are on the cusp of something, but I have questions about the manager. They have, you know, three... um, Positions to fill, an entire bullpen, more adding to the starting rotation. Is the Sixers call are. In,
3: you, is this why they call you Mr. Negative? My
1: God, I mean the Sixers <laughs> are in purgatory. The Flyers—they threw a grenade in the locker room, and it hasn't made a, a huge difference. I, I got to say, the Eagles, because in the end, even though that first half against the Giants, um, they've been far from perfect. I've been. My opinion of Nick Sirianni has changed um, a, a near one hundred and eighty. Since his introduction, I mean, you know, not just, you know, watching his introduction and being, and, and being cringeworthy, but watching him learn and adjust, you know, and, and I'm coming to the realization that he is an NFL head coach and that, you know, with the proper tweaks, you know, within the coaching staff and in the roster, I think he could be a good head coach for many years to come. So I'll go with the Eagles.
0: Silsky.
2: Yeah, boy, it's, that's a really hard question. Who had the best season? Um, Yeah, I think, I think the Eagles probably did because of the way they're positioned for the future. Um, the six, I mean, look at the Sixers, right? Like, it's a joy to watch Joel Embiid play when Joel Embiid plays, but they're stuck in either kind of wasting his prime because until they move Ben Simmons, they're not going to be good enough uh, to get to where they want to get to. The Phillies are kind of a mystery, a top-heavy roster that still needs to replenish its talent base. The Flyers are, you know, the definition of insanity, it seems to me. And yeah, I think I think it's gotta be the Eagles because they were able to they were able to take a disaster in the Wentz situation. Their franchise quarterback decides he wants out, and they've positioned themselves reasonably well to be able to move on from that. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that this is what they wanted to happen, some grand plan of genius by Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie. It just means that they seem like they might be able to to pull out of this in a way, and plus they're helped by the other their their primary rivals, the Giants in Washington, stink so badly that it kind of elevates the Eagles to a place of like, hey, it could be worse, you know. We could have we could have drafted Daniel Jones six, you know, in the first round, or hired Dave Gettleman to be our general manager, or be counting on Taylor Heineke to save us. So in that respect, it's probably the Eagles,
3: Colonel. Yeah, and they're going to win the division next year because the division hasn't been won by the same team in like three decades. Um, I would, I would agree with those guys, it's more by default. But I gotta ask you guys a question because I really don't know the answer to this. I'm serious. Is Ben getting paid right now, or is Ben not getting paid?
0: Johnson,
1: huh. uh, as far as I know, he's getting paid. I wow, I haven't, I haven't because um, of the
0: mental health, I think it's the mental health thing that yeah, causes I him mean, to get paid. Yeah.
1: The fact that it's been silent from the Sixers and they're not making a big stink about it—I mean, that tells me that they're still that they're paying him for all of this.
3: Well, that's that's absurd. But okay, his, let me ask you guys a question: Has any franchise fallen as much in in six months? Let's say six—I guess six—than the Sixers? I mean, here we were last June, I guess it was, and they're the number one seed. They get past the first round. They, yeah, you know, I know Joel hurt his knee, but okay. They're playing. We all thought they were gonna beat the Hawks, right up until they didn't. And we figured they had they had a shot in, in the Eastern Conference final. Uh the Lakers weren't getting to the finals, you know, none of the teams you thought they couldn't beat. And then it all just blows apart and nothing's been the same since then. I, I can never remember some team falling this fast this much. 2012
0: Phillies, but
3: yeah, but we knew Kevin. We they, 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 we knew that Ryan Howard's knee was tapioca. We knew that they the guys getting older. Quick. Yeah, I know. But I'm right. just saying that
0: this team was the best team in the East. Go, you know, go man, ahead, guys. Man. Let me let me, John. Go
1: ahead. I mean, we have a much smaller roster, or so. But I, this is where I mean, there's so many factors in this, and it, it, a lot of it begins and ends with Ben Simmons. But I, when you bring in someone like Daryl Morey. You know, Daryl Morey has to have knowledge of a situation when he comes in, and it seems like revisionist history now. But when we date back to the last trade deadline, and you heard the rumors about Ben for Harden and a couple other rumors surrounding Ben, you know you can't leave that floating out there and not act on it. I mean, this is where you know it's easy to say, "Well, you know, give him more time." It's the same spiel we've heard each and every season—the what if with Ben Simmons and someone like Morey—he has to have the wherewithal to know the situation and know when to act on it. And you have to understand your player's mindset, too. And it's been long. I mean, each and every one of you know this, how Ben Simmons has been as a professional athlete in terms of behind closed doors and handling of criticism, what he's willing to do, what he's not willing to do. He hasn't changed in all these years. As an organization, you have to know, hey, we're either going to win with this guy or we're not. And now they put themselves in this horrible, horrible situation, which I'm not uh, pushing the blame away from Ben. But this is also, you know, on the GM slash president to know to act before it becomes a major issue. And now they find themselves in this position where you have a roster that's not nearly good enough. They're a 500 team or two games above 500 right now. They're a 500 team. They're not nearly good enough to be a contender. And they're screwed financially. And the head coach, you know, Doc Rivers was brought here here to coach superstars. And he failed at that. And now we're watching him game in and game out where the, the the they sleepwalk into these games, and they play down to their opponent the majority of the time. I'm just as disappointed with the head coach as I am the other hire you know, above him.
2: Mike Selski. I think John put his finger on it, um, and it extends to the Eagles and the Wentz situation. More and more, if you are an executive or a coach or an owner of one of these franchises, you have to have an understanding of who your stars are and how they're going to react to adverse situations. Okay. It does that doesn't excuse the way Carson Wentz reacted when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts or the way Ben Simmons has carried himself and kind of the absurd nature of his trade demands. Okay. But you as an organization have to know who these guys are and how they're going to act. It's no different from any other work environment that there are some people who are in positions of power who are going to freak out if things go their way, or they're going to pound the table and say, I'm not doing this, or I'm the star. You know, it could be in radio, could be at a media company, could be anywhere. And I, I agree completely with John when he says that once the, this—the biggest mistake in this whole thing from the Sixers' standpoint—in retrospect was not trading Simmons for Harden. And it's not even that, you know, it's not even that that was necessarily the best thing for the franchise to do. It's just that it led to everything that followed. That once Ben found out, oh my gosh, I might be traded. That was it. He was done with this organization, and what we saw in the playoffs, you know, it's a natural byproduct of who he is. It seems to me whether he's actually going through these mental issues or not. Um, but that was it. That was the 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 start of all this decline for the Sixers. And Mike, John's right. Yeah, Mike, go do ahead. you think if the
3: coach, after that game seven, if Joe hadn't said what he said, and and I I don't have any problem with Joe, but if the coach had come out and said, "Oh no, no." We still think we can win a championship with Ben instead of the answer he gave. To the Murphy question. Right. Right. Do you think that things would have been okay going forward, or was the cast already set? Maybe. I think Ben was already, uh, you know, given how people had
2: reacted to him and the the coverage of him um, and the fan reaction to him and the fact that he was, um, you know, shrinking in the moment, so to speak. And to be honest, guys, look you can only ask so much. I agree with a lot of what John has said about Doc's performance as a coach since he's been here, but you can only ask guys, you know, so many times to deny what is obvious to everyone. And Joel and and Doc were only saying what everyone already knew to be true and they weren't and they were they were gentle in how they did it for the most part. I mean, Joel really didn't hammer Ben until that one press conference at the beginning of this season in training camp. Um, where he, yeah, where he finally was like, look, we're we're better with him, but Jesus Christ, you know, like, that's kind of what he said. And, um, you know, so I don't necessarily blame those guys for that. I just, I think that in today's day and age, with the way athletes are, particularly elite star athletes, you have to know how these guys are going to react. I think, you know, look at the Patriots of Brady and Belichick and look at the Spurs of Popovich and Duncan. If anything, Brady and Duncan get short shrift in how much their personalities and their mindset contributed to those dynasties because they didn't allow crap like this to happen and they didn't commit it themselves. Hmm. And that's a huge, huge factor that people have to take into consideration, particularly executives of major sports
0: franchises. So, John, when when and how do they get out of this mess?
1: Well, I mean, if we've... We heard all the rumors over the last few months. Daryl Morey wants something of significant value in return for Ben. He has to come. So this is where ego becomes involved. Daryl Morey, who has a record of, of making um, good decisions as a front office member. Some have backfired, but at the time they seemed like good decisions. He has built up a tremendous ego. So although he's very savvy and wise and should have foresight, he does not want to have his name attached to a losing trait. And he has to come to the realization that you're not going to get what you were hoping for, for Ben Simmons or anywhere near close to that. And not that even trading him for less than that is going to make a difference on this team immediately, but having him sit here and getting nothing for him is not helping this team. They are in absolute purgatory. Joel Embiid, who always has his emotions on his sleeve, you can watch him and say, all right, he's into it tonight. All right. He doesn't care tonight. And until they make a decision and, the front there is uh, moves made by the front office to where the players can say, "All right, now we're moving here." Now they want to, you know, get this thing rolling. They're just going to show up night in and night out. Whatever happens, happens. It seems like they're punting the season. That's why they're five hundred.
3: My God, do you think they will make a move? I'll say by the trade deadline, but that's so far off. Well, it's only mid-February, Mike. On? Oh, really? Okay, I want okay. Do you think they're going to make a move, or will Daryl Morey just say, we're punting the season, like you just put it? I, uh,
1: delaying it, I, I think they will make a move. I think inevitably they're going to take the best uh, offer that's placed in front of them as we okay. get closer to the trade deadline. I mean, I, his value's not going to go up. He, the longer he's away from a basketball court, the more questions will arise. What's his shape and his, like? his, his mental
3: status will become immediately better the moment he's
1: trained. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, I did, you know, the whole disclaimer, I could be wrong, but he, you know, we know what the timeline is of all this, everything that's transpired that's led to the quote mental health issue with him. He just doesn't want to be here.
0: Uh, Mike, when do you think this gets done? Silski.
1: I've always said it was going to take a while for the very reasons John said more. didn't want
2: to lose a trade. Maury um, and the Sixers are presuming exactly what you guys just said, which is that as soon as Ben ends up in a different place, he's going to snap out of this fog or his mental issue or whatever, um and he'll go and be ready to play this miracle yeah (laughs) i'm I'm curious to see his feats of strength um yeah so uh, you know is it will they make a deal at the deadline i don't know about that because i think maury might look at this and say you know what the deal that i want to make isn't there and so we'll just roll with what we got and you know you can outthink yourself in these things you can and the The problem with this situation, again, it comes back to salary cap issues in sports, is that they literally cannot improve themselves as long as Ben Simmons is on the roster. Well, because he takes up more salary cap space this season than any other player
0: and next season. Well, and this is the to both John and Mike. Isn't, aren't we at a point where basically this is the last card they could play on, quote-unquote, the process in a sense because... Whenever you do this, you're so cap-bound and everything, and you're going to have to find wiggle room. By the time this is done, Embiid's prime years are likely to be over uh, before you really get a gauge on... I mean, that window we all think is so narrow for him anyway because of his injuries and and, his, and everything going on and, and the nature of big men in the NBA. Aren't we almost at that point right now where you almost have to think Boy, we got like two years, and we got to take care of this now. Otherwise, we're going to have to blow this up again.
1: Yeah, they're in that window right now, and that's the problem. This is Joel Embiid's window. I mean, he's they. Uh, let's use last season as the example. They tried their hardest to keep him healthy, and he still got hurt. It's just it's the way his body is. He can't uh, withstand the rigors of a full you know season plus the playoffs. So this is his window, and each and every year he's getting a year older. We you know we. As you mentioned, Kev, I mean, the, a big man in the NBA, especially someone as unique as him, they are blowing this window, and I, I can't help but think. But when does the win, when
0: does the window close? Like, how long is the window really?
1: I, I don't. I mean, they they gave him that supermax deal, which we, I, you know, I don't think anybody expects him to, to be the same player he is now at the end of that supermax deal. But they, they were they had no choice. Uh, what other choice do they have? They had to give it to him. I mean, he is defranchise for them. If they have any hopes of getting somewhere, he is the person that has to lead them there. So, I, beyond, and the thing is too, like, I knew the Ben Simmons thing is horrible. The Tobias Harris' contract is just as heinous. You know, he's a guy that can fill a stat sheet, but he's not a, a gamer. He's not going to throw the tag rat. He's unwilling, unable to do a lot of things. They're in a horrible situation. And you brought someone like Daryl Moore here, paid him a boatload of money for a reason. He has his feet have to be held to the fire more than I think they are. There's too much fan praise of him um, when there should be more criticism and or, hey, Daryl, please do something. Yeah.
3: Hey, John, did they make a mistake last year, and I don't know all the ramifications of this cap and all, by not getting a point guard? like I mean, we heard Lowry's name, and I don't even know if Kyle wanted to come here, I, and it was a lot of money, but did they make a mistake, given the window that they had last year? which kind of opened up for them with the yeah did they make a mistake by not doing that
1: I don't think Kyle Lowry would have been the difference on this team sure it would have helped maybe maybe they would have beat Atlanta that way and who knows what happens with Milwaukee I don't think he would have been the difference between the Larry O'Brien trophy or not but again like we talked about I go back to that trade deadline you know with the whole Ben Simmons James Harden and a couple other teams that were involved with Simmons as opposed to Lowry because I you know who knows? He I mean, could be right, Mike. Honestly, dude, there's well, so many mistakes. Chilled, What's right? That? They got George Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was great <laughs> for those minutes he played. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's, they're all, and that's the problem. You get too many, end up with these egger players who aren't making a difference for you. All
0: right, so we we said that the Eagles had the best year. We figured the Sixers had the worst year. I take it, right? Is that everybody in agreement with that? Mike, you're kind of sh- shrugging. Go ahead.
2: I don't know. The Flyers seem to be in pretty bad shape, don't you guys think? <laughs> they're irrelevant. far be, it, far be it for like, me. To, far being for me to point out that the Flyers are in bad
3: shape, but well, uh, yeah, they've got like a five-game unbeaten streak, don't they, or something like that?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah, sure turning it all around. Well, yeah, I, I before mean,
1: the shutdown. Yeah.
0: Uh, they're irrelevant, though, Mike. That's the problem. I mean, they're, they really are. I mean, they're irrelevant in the standings. They're kind of irrelevant in in the town's mindset at this point. And yeah. the leagues are irrelevant right now. Well, no, yeah, that's a whole different. Story. I mean, the
3: league's on pause.
1: But well, I mean, the ESPN and their rights. It was supposed to be a big boost for the league, and that and it should have been. The Flyers, the Flyers probably. To Mike's point, the Flyers may have had a worse year than the Sixers because the Sixers can make two moves, and suddenly they're in that you know top four teams in the conference. Uh, as you know, impossible as it seems at the moment, the Flyers. They're, I mean, they're years away. I, they, their farm <laughs> system is. is full of guys who didn't pan out or they, you know, they didn't develop properly. You have an interim head coach right now. And for the first time in, God, 40 years, you're finally losing the fan base. Well, and, you know, When you have corporate ownership and they value a mascot seemingly more than the team in the fans' eyes, organizationally, they might be in the worst shape of all.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, Silski, I mean, you know, they, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I mean, they have alienated a large portion of their fan base. And you don't know if the company's kind of invested in, in, in being involved in this any longer. Is that a fair point?
2: I think it's fair to ask that question, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've I, been banging this drum, and I'll continue banging this drum. And, you know, the people... there are. The fact is, it was always going to take a long time to get the Flyers back to where they needed to be. They were a lesser version of the 2011-2012 Phillies where the 2011 Phillies had one more shot and it was like an Easter egg that was beautiful on the outside and empty in the middle. And as soon as the shell cracked... That was it. And it's going to take a long time to put the egg back together again. The Flyers were in the same position. They just weren't as close to winning a championship aside from that one kind of quasi miracle run of the finals in 2010. They were chasing free agents and making big trades and not developing anyone, not developing enough good players to be able to maintain excellent excellence in a salary cap league. And they still haven't done it. They were marginally better doing it under Ron Hextall and, and, To to his credit, Hextall at least was upfront and honest with everybody in the city and in that organization about how long it was going to take. Nobody wanted to hear it because people in the hockey world live on this idea that you can make a a great run one year and maybe win the Stanley Cup if your goalie gets hot or you change your coach or you, you patch this hole. And what was ailing the Flyers was deeper and bigger than that. And they still haven't fixed it. And I don't know that they see that they have to fix it because they went into this offseason and made all these cosmetic, you know, let's get, let's get Keith Yandel, let's trade Jake Voracek for Cam Atkinson, and, you know, let's blow this thing up, which they needed to blow it up, but they needed to be realistic about what was going to come out of that. And they're still not as far as I'm concerned. And they've lost some of the fan base because they changed their identity, which I don't necessarily blame them for, um, the organization that is, because... It needed a fresh clean start. The problem is the fresh clean start has yielded nothing. Just hasn't.
0: Mike, Kern.
3: Yeah, I can't look. They've been they've been wandering in the desert for a decade. And like I said, even if you go back before that, as Mike said, if you take out that two thousand ten run, which I don't care what anybody tells me that they were good at, they made the playoffs on the last day in a shootout. Okay. So and then they beat the Bruins. Coming back from three zip, which was great. They played the Canadians, the eight seed, and the in the and they and they played the Blackhawks, pretty tough in the final. But it's just, I it, it, I don't know if people care anymore. I really don't, uh, because I think we got so wrapped up in the Sixers, the last at least last year, because you know that we thought they had a chance, and I just don't know where this franchise goes. You've wasted. A guy who's going to go down as one of the best players in franchise history, whatever you think of Drew, you know, he's probably – if you're the top scorer or one of the top scorers in the NHL in a decade, then you must be pretty darn good, whatever your shortcomings might be. And I just don't know where they go to get better. They have the goalie that we all thought, you know, okay, they've never had a goalie for a while. Now they got a goalie. But, like, you know, people said, some of these players, they were kind of counting on coming up and being good and – it, it, we see this in sports all time, Kev. If you draft poorly, mm-hmm. bad things happen. It happened to the Eagles. It happened to the Phillies. It's happened to the Flyers. It's very, and even to the Sixers to a, to a certain degree. So if you draft poorly and you waste draft picks, it usually comes back to haunt
0: you. Well, and that, it's funny because I kind of view the Flyers and the, and the Phillies in the same spot at this point. I mean, they're both not getting a lot from their minor league system. They both have... They both have individual talent, you know. Obviously, you know when you look at the Phillies, you have you know Harper and you have Wheeler, and, and there's some pieces, but there's no float, there's no system, and there's no support system to really boost them up going forward. And, and, and John, I mean, as we transition to the Phillies, you know, I, I they just saw a team in their di- division win the World Series, and again, again. You have another team that's gone and spent a fortune and hired a good manager in Buck Showalter and gets Max Scherzer. Boy, they're really dangerously close to tipping off the abyss here, aren't they?
1: I know they are, and the fans fan base hasn't bought in, as evidence of the ticket sales. This is, uh, and then you have the lock. You know they're in a lockout right now, and who knows if the season will be delayed and what happens from there, which is will further further distance them from uh, from fans. I. They're in a really tough spot. I, I I like what Dave Dombrowski has done for the most part since he was brought on board. Baseball uh, of the four majors takes the longest to, I don't want to say turn around, but to develop talent, you know, uh, refine it and polish it, and you know, and then fill in the missing holes once those draft picks hit the major league level. The Phillies are starting. I mean, the Klentak era just just obliterated whatever farm system they had left, or you know, made it completely barren. They're in a horrible spot where they're on the cusp of. That luxury tax with ownership, they say they don't care, but clearly they're making moves that will keep them right underneath that threshold. I, I don't see uh, unless we and then you and you have the MVP Which
0: right. I, now. I don't blame them, by the way. I don't blame them for not going over the luxury tax. I really don't. If you can't afford, if you can't put together a winning roster for two hundred and seven million, then that's on you. Then that's a problem in your system. So right. this idea that you just throw money after money, I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, yeah, but well, fans,
3: fans don't see it that way, Kev. You're right. But fans say, hey, we almost made the playoffs last year. If you got this player and this player, you know, maybe we would be in the playoffs and have a chance. They don't see it that way. And unfortunately, that you know, it, it's like, like John said the Klintak, the five years of Clintack or whatever. It's just, that sets you back five years. Another five, you know, another five years on top of
1: that. I mean, in the end, you know, Middleton made that call with McPhail, who brought in Klintec. So it falls on on the managing partner, John. Yeah, sure. But he's now put in the worst of all situations. It's all right. We sat through five years of a rebuild. We lost our fan base. We're starting to build them back up again. We want to do that, you know, just gut it again because we really need to, or just trying to piecemeal it and hope we get the right combination of players to be in the postseason.
2: Selsky? They've got, a, they've got a bigger issue too. Not a bigger issue, but another issue, which is that think back to their prime years from, let's say, 05 to 2011, okay? That, that glory era where even when they weren't winning the division yet in 05 and 06, they were fun. They were, relevant, they were fun and they were relevant, okay? Who were their best players throughout that time? Jimmy Rollins, homegrown, Chase Utley, homegrown, Ryan Howard, homegrown, Cole Hamels, homegrown, Ryan Madsen, homegrown, Carlos Ruiz, homegrown, Jason Wirth might as well have been homegrown because nobody knew who he was when they acquired him. Victorino. Shane, Shane Victorino might as well have been homegrown because nobody knew who he was when they acquired him. Jamie Moyer was literally born in the Philadelphia area and then came back as good as they were at that time. That is a major reason why the town fell in love with that team is that it felt like it grew up with them. Yeah. Look at them now. Their best player is Bryce Harper, who was great this season, has been great since he's been here, but is not homegrown. He was the big free agent signing. Who's homegrown for them who anybody identifies with?
0: Maybe Hoskins. Maybe. Maybe. And he's
2: not lived up to expectations since his second year in the big leagues. He really hasn't. He's been mm-hmm. really good or really bad that's an issue it's not just you know if you if you they were in the thick of the playoff race this year it was i mean by granted default. they were not by, by default, default based on the division and all that okay. they were in the thick of the playoff race and nobody cared because nobody identifies with this team and and that's to mike's point about the drafting poorly that's the other unseen cost is that it actually makes your team more popular if you draft well, because fans connect with them because they see these guys grow up and they don't have that either.
0: So, well, and, you know, and I'll tie this in. They banked on guys like Nola and Hoskins being the anchors and you supplement around them. Well, they didn't develop that way. Aaron Nola is a good pitcher, you know, until September, but he he's not a he's not a franchise anchor. Reese Hoskins is a decent player, but he's not a franchise anchor. And, and, and when you have to go pay for real mudo and and Harper and and, and you know the DD Gregorius of the world yeah you know, because J., the JP Crawford thing fell apart or maybe they gave up too early on him who knows um it it, it just kind of this is the mess you end up in high high cap you end up being the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim that's basically what you end up being so i, I, I don't know they're top heavy they are they're top heavy and we see what that gets them. I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know where, and, and look, and, and Mike, you've talked about this in columns too. It's a team in trouble, in a sport in trouble, because uh, of the lack of excitement. I mean, I think, you know, you talk about those that era, and part of it was, look, the games weren't moving substantially faster, but there seemed like there was a lot more involved. Because it wasn't as analytical, it, there was action, there was home runs and everything. Now it's like just uh, the game is drawn out. It is boring in a lot of cases, and, and it's four hours, and that's part of the problem. They they have the biggest problem going forward here. I think would you agree as a sport? Yes, absolutely. They do
2: um, because the, I, I, I've written that the game stinks. I don't want. I don't watch the game unless I don't watch baseball unless I have to, and I'm. I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. I know I'm not alone. The game is slow. Its players are, are not, you could say, not marketed well, not interesting. There are only so many guys who, who you tune in to watch. Um, the diversity of the sport is gone. And by diversity of the sport, I don't mean the, the players and their backgrounds. I mean how the sport is played. Mm -hmm. That was the fun of baseball was the Cardinals play a certain way and the Dodgers play a certain way and the Yankees play a certain way and they're all distinct and different and everybody plays the same way now. Everybody's trying to hit home runs. Everybody swings the bat the same way. Nobody throws interesting pitches. It's it's homogenous and it's dull and that hurts teams everywhere, particularly ones that haven't been very good.
1: No, I mean, Mike's, and just to add on to what Mike was saying, I mean, it is, we live in an age of instant gratification where there is, there's even times where, you know, basketball and hockey can seemingly take too long and they're two hours to two and a half hours a game. Baseball is the exact opposite and they don't care. And that's a huge part of the problem too. That baseball, more than any other sport, puts themselves on this pedestal. And how dare you criticize. What is going on with them? They won't just, you know, hear you and then just ignore it. They'll, they'll lash back at you. Oh, how dare you? Uh, we are the great, mighty Major League Baseball. And it turns the younger of the fan bases off. Like we did, if you know, currently doing it or did it for a living. So it's part of our livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, we watch it as part of a job. But from a, a fan point of view, unless you were born into it, um, the, baseball creates no new fans. And, the the oldest of the generation of baseball fans is dying off and there's no one to replace them because they have themselves on this pedestal and everything that Mike had you know, said is 100% correct. The, the three to four-hour games, it's it, it's going to die a slow death.
0: Colonel?
3: Yeah, I mean, what? yeah. Uh, we've been saying this about baseball for a while. This isn't like a new conversation. And I don't see, I don't know how you change it. I mean, you could put rules in. You know, 20 second pitch count, or don't let batters step out of the batter's box, or this and that and that. Yeah. uh, Me personally, I don't care if a game takes 245 or 255. Like, I'm not sitting there, you know, charting my, but, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember games when they played in two hours. You know, and again, you sound like the guy's kicking somebody off your lawn, but I'm just saying it, it, it but the, it's changed. The ear the players have changed. You know, everybody steps out now and, and adjusts their batting gloves on every single pitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're going to do that, and again, if the Phillies start winning again, like they did in 2006 and 2007, people will come. I have no doubt about that. It, it, and a lot of this comes down to winning and losing. If your team is winning and they're successful, people will show up to watch. When they've been bad for a decade – And you have trouble seeing past your division. Well, you know what? They're not. And if I was the owner and I saw 16, 17, 18, thousand people coming when my team was in a, a race, I'd be concerned. But but what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you do as a sport to change your sport. I I, I just don't know.
0: All right. So uh, we have a final, like eight minutes here. Um, let me ask all of you, um, for some predictions and one i guess the the first question is where do you see sports going in 2022 obviously you know at this point you've seen bowl games get postponed with COVID. we've seen you know the nfl schedule get wreaked havoc the nhl on pause and all that Uh, that's the immediate question And, and i'll go with johnson uh where do you think this is heading on the COVID front at least early in 2022
1: Inevitably, what's going to happen in COVID, uh, with, uh, whether you're going to a sporting, whether you're the athlete or the spectator, where you go to the movie theater, anywhere, you're ultimately going, everyone's going to end up having to sign an electronic waiver. Because uh, one thing we've learned, it's always, the virus always mutates. You know, the, the latest variant we hear isn't as harsh, but it's still, it's more, it's easily more contagious. Everybody's going to have to sign a waiver, you know, a, a COVID waiver, and because we, there is no way that we can survive another shutdown. NBA has made that clear. We're going to try to push through, regardless of how decimated some rosters are. We'll reschedule a couple of games if we have to, but we're not going to shut down play like the NHL. Uh, you know, the NHL has Canada involved, so they're far more cautious uh, than the United States has been to this point. I, I In the end, we're going to get waivers, because otherwise you're going to have another shutdown, and I don't think that'll happen.
0: Silsky
2: I think the NFL and the NBA have started taking the steps that we need to take as a society, um, which is we are going to live with this virus for the rest of our lives. It is endemic. Um, the, The Omicron variant is by all indications so far is less severe, but more contagious. So if that's the case, at some point as a society, and I'm, not, I'm I'm speaking with this kind of beyond sports, like people are just going to want to live their lives. That's what this comes down to. And they, it, I think they're looking for cultural and societal green lights to do that. And I think what the NFL has done and what the NBA has done have been good in that regard. I think the NHL botched this, the idea that you know, we're gonna delay every game we can because of positive tests. Well, they did even have they did are,
0: have the Olympic
2: break that they could. Originally. I know, but even because people are asymptomatic, the, if sports wants to get back to being as relevant as it once was, or at least approximating that, they're gonna have to say, you know what, we, we gotta we gotta just learn to live with this virus, and, because I think that's where we're headed as a society. It, it's not. Uh, my, my colleague, Dave Murphy, wrote a great column about this other day where he made the point, this is not about ignoring what happened in 2020 and the, and the deaths and the damage. It is taking that into consideration and acknowledging that the conditions are different now. There are ways to protect yourself against this. The, the virus itself is changing, and therefore, we should adjust our response and the way we act toward it. And sports can play a big role in that. Sports was part of the reason that the lockdowns happened. Because Rudy Gobert got sick, and that was it. The NBA shut down.
0: Rudy and Gobert and Tom Hanks, and the NHL, shut. Ru- and then Go- the NHL yep.
2: shut down, and then the NCAA tournament shut down. And all of a sudden, it was okay to shut things down. Mm-hmm. And maybe we needed to do that, and maybe we didn't. But we've got to get back to the point where we say, you know what? You only get so many days and so many years in your life, and you got to live them. Mm-hmm. And here, we know how to do that in the age of COVID, and we got to move that way.
1: That's what I was saying. Inevitably. Because of what's available to everybody now, to for you know preventative, whether it's mass, vaccine, whatever, because they want to carry on, and that'll be when you purchase a ticket or you're covering a game or whatever, you just have an electronic waiver, just like you just on the back of the tickets you used to purchase. You know, you you know, balls could fly into the stands. The same all thing, right. you could contract COVID by you know, clicking this, you waive your rights,
0: right? Uh, all right, so I want each of you to give me one prediction. That you think will happen in twenty twenty two in Philadelphia sports, uh, it could be business, it could be a player move, it could be just something you find coming out of, uh, you know, coming out in the landscape that will be the biggest story of twenty twenty two. Let's start with uh, let's start with Silski.
2: Um, it's a really good question. Does can it, I say that? Can I say that there's going to be a best-selling book that comes out? Yes. Go ahead.
3: Go <laughs> ahead. Become a does cultural it touchstone to for years it, to come. Does it have anything to do with a Japanese restaurant? It does. Okay. Good. It does. I
2: think. All right. Predictions for 2022. I think we're going to see um, the Sixers continue to recede in terms of their ability to win a championship. I think bold prediction. I think part of that will come from, and this is not bold in any way, Joel beats health. The The one piece of recent NBA history that I come back to with the Sixers is that Daryl Morey was the general manager of the Houston Rockets when they lost Yao Ming for good. And I think Morey is mindful that this all could fall fall apart. Any hope that the Sixers have of making a run at a championship could fall apart if Joel Embiid goes down the wrong way, lands the wrong way on one of his ankles or his knees or something like that. And so uh, that would be my prediction. I don't want to see it happen, but I just, I think there's going to be a, a breaking point, so to speak, for the
3: Sixers this year.
0: All right. Yeah. Mr. Kern, how about you? You have any bold prediction? Vill-
3: Villanova will make the tournament <laughs> and nobody and nobody else will. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Boy, Kev, it's it's so hard because of the world we live in. And, you know, the guys just touched upon the COVID thing. And, you know, as I've said many times, COVID controls us. It's not the other way around. We have to learn to live with the COVID, as Mike said. And fortunately, it looks as if this current variant and while it's more contagious, is not doing the things that the variant did a year ago mm-hmm. with the hospitals. Now, that doesn't mean, we're, but what might be out there six months from now that I don't know about and you don't know. I mean, we don't know. And like Mike said, this is the rest of our lives that we're probably going to be dealing with this, like we deal with the flu or we deal whatever. But as far as Philly sport, I mean, it's just. You know, I would like to sit here and say, yeah, the Eagles are going to do this, or the or this is going to happen. But there's so much like gray areas now in Philadelphia sports. You know, is Jalen Hurts going to be the quarterback next year? Will the Eagles make a move in that direction or whatever? Uh, can the Phillies, if, if, if after the lockout ends, hopefully ends, can they do things to make them compete with the Braves and maybe the Mets? Uh, I'll leave the other two teams. Yeah. Can the Sixers trade Ben Simmons and get something that makes them at least more competitive right now, puts them into the top three or four in the East where maybe you have a chance. I I don't really have an answer on the flyers. And and to be honest with you, I think there's so much uncertainty, and that can be a good thing because good things can come out of that. But also, uh, I I sit here, my my worst fear is that we're sitting here in the NBA offseason and Ben Simmons
0: hasn't been moved. Yeah, I hear you. John Johnson. John Johnson.
1: (laughs) I will go with the Eagles uh, as a bold prediction. Uh, prediction. I, and I honestly feel this will probably happen. Uh, during the offseason, uh, whatever happens with the Eagles, I think they'll make the playoffs, they'll lose in the first round. Everybody will be happy from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, and in the offseason, Howie Roseman will use some of those, probably two of those three first-round picks, and acquire a veteran quarterback. Um, if I had to pick of who's available, I'll say Deshaun Watson, which seems like the most... Um, predictable of those available, whether it be Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, one or two others, they will acquire Deshaun Watson. He will become the next franchise quarterback of the Eagles. Uh,
0: I'm going to go on a business end here. Uh, one, I believe that uh, NBC, or Comcast will get out of the sports business. I think you will see NBC Sports Philadelphia get sold uh, as part of their regional sports networks. That's been rumored, obviously, here for the last six months. Uh, I think they will sell the Flyers and the Wells Fargo Center. I could see Josh Harris divesting himself of the New Jersey Devils and buying the Flyers. And in that case, then starting the push for his own, well, he's already started the push, but he will try to build his own basketball arena, maybe in the same parking lot um, as the Wells Fargo Center, or maybe even in in Downtown Philadelphia, but I, I think at this point Comcast ownership of the Flyers is in its last legs, um, because I, I just don't sense that they, I don't sense that NBC slash Universal slash Comcast, whatever you want to call it, um, really wants to be in the sports business anymore. They're folding their, uh, they're folding NBC Sports Network on uh, on Friday. They've lost the NHL package. Uh, you know they they've kind of limited what they want to do, and I think that's where you're going to see the Flyers as the next shoe to drop here, and I think that will be, actually be good for the franchise going forward.
1: Hey,
3: boys, is there going to be an Olympics in 2022, and does anybody really care?
0: Yes, there will, and no, they won't.
1: Right. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. That's exactly but, what it is. I love the Olympics. It, it's not going to be anything to watch. Well, yeah, it's
0: in the, right. it, they're, they're having the Super Bowl right in the middle of it too, which is kind of yeah. weird in its own way, but – Gentlemen, I hope you have a happy and a safe new year. Uh, Don't forget, Mike Zilski's book comes out January 11th, correct, Mike? January 11th, The Rise,
2: Kobe Bryant and the Pursuit of Immortality. If you see me at the corner of Broad and Market wearing a sandwich board (laughs) saying we'll sell books for food, please stop by and say
3: hello. Mike, if you're going to be at Broad and Market with that, just please tell me I am there (laughs) and I'll buy five books. Is that all it takes for you to buy five books? That's it? I, that, that's all it takes. Personally I, what, humiliating myself? Oh, it's
2: worth it. It's worth <laughs> it.
0: Uh Mike Silski uh from the Inquirer and uh and John's on all week. John is filling in for Angelo all week uh on ninety four WIP. Correct, John?
1: That is correct. Every uh, morning and rest of the week.
0: Every morning the rest of the week. And uh he's on all over the dial the rest of the time as well. Gentlemen, thank you. Michael, have a great new Thanks, year. Fred. Uh, Thank you to all of you for joining us. Have a great and safe new year. We will talk to you in 2022.